Hey, DER Task Force community. We have a great one for you today where we ask the question if Bitcoin is a backup generator or not. This episode literally has it all. It starts with laying the foundation for the massive energy consumption requirements for an emerging non-physical technology called Bitcoin, if you've heard of it, which to me is a super weird concept. We are generating physical kilowatt hours to make a digital currency, but also that's kind of the way the world works with the internet and the crazy amount of energy usage required to maintain a dominant piece of our modern day infrastructure. This episode turns from the fundamentals of the technology to the unique use case of Bitcoin mining, which is connected to the future of, you guessed it, capacity markets. Finishes with a nice historical throwback to the US dollar and oil, narrated by James, of course. All this to say that this is not your typical blockchain and energy episode, and it will leave you with a solid nuanced take on why the entrance quote from one of the world thought leaders on technology and energy is not up to the DER task force standards for thoughtful distributed energy debates. Hope you enjoy this episode and don't forget to subscribe to our newsletter at DERtaskforce.com and be a contributing task force member at our meetups and Slack channel. Here goes Duncan to start us off. Bitcoin uses more electricity per transaction than any other method known to mankind. It's not a great climate thing. Who do you think that is? (laughs) Just end the episode now. (laughs) (laughs) It is Bill Gates who. Oh, Billy boy. Maybe Vaslav Smil told him that one. Is Vaslav an anti-Bitcoin guy? No, no. I just know he's. Well, that's. I just know he and Bill Gates are friends. Oh, interesting. He probably is. I think though, he I think he's, he's just pro like a, Bitcoin because he says energy is the best currency or something like that. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. I also think though he's like allergic to hype. Yeah, that's why he like hates Tesla and stuff too. Yeah, he could go either way. So if you haven't guessed, today we are talking about Bitcoin. And we think the timing is good for this episode. There's I mean, for a long time been a lot of chatter about this topic, but I think both sides have sort of elevated the stakes so to speak. And so there's a lot to unpack here. Also, I think we're in a uh, the nice place of, you know, Colleen and James having a pretty good understanding of this stuff. So looking forward to jumping in. Everybody is going after each other on Twitter. <laughs> yep. I'm, I'm just going to the moon, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Also, Elon was just on SNL. I really think Dogecoin is the right energy solution <laughs> for the grid. In fact, I think it's key to a renewable energy future. <laughs> That's the best take. Um, so, like, I think what's interesting about how when you look at what's reality and what's narrative in this conversation, they're sometimes, like, wildly disjointed. It's, like, beyond the iceberg analogy where it's, like, what you see and then what's actually going on. Right. It's, it's like, even and, beyond that. And more than that, like, I think the people constructing the narratives are either like, like they fall on one side or the other of this like currency debate. Mm -hmm. And then they're like wading into energy as like a weapon to support their narrative. So they're like non-energy people constructing energy narratives that don't have any business stepping into this arena, but they're in it now. Get out of the arena. In the Thunderdome. (laughs) (laughs) No, I think that's actually a really interesting way to start though. Yeah. This, this idea that like, there's this bigger sort of debate about currency, about governance, and energy's become like a valuable sort of like cudgel 
or defense, depending on your perspective. And it's probably true that if you're wielding energy with not being from a place of understanding it, whatever your argument is, pro or con, is probably going to be pretty flawed. Right. That being said, like, I think people are at least like grasping on to things that do in a way make sense. So I think what we want to do is kind of unpack all the, there's a lot of layers behind what ends up becoming two really simple sides of a debate. Like one, you think Bitcoin is going to destroy the earth because we're going to consume so much energy that we're going to keep emitting, emitting fossil fuels is like ruin the renewable energy future. Or the other side, you are now on the Square and ARK Invest white paper they just released, which states Bitcoin is key to a renewable energy future. Right. It's not just like, don't worry about the energy consumption. It's like, this is the solution. Right. Well, and key to me suggests without it, there is no renewable energy future. Right. Right. Like it's a cornerstone. Yeah. Like it's required. Right. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. So pretty different conclusions to come to which let me just kind of stay up front the validity aside i think it's like a brilliant counter narrative like if you just like are (laughs) admiring from a thousand foot view of like you know nick carter has written like 25 articles being like no bitcoin energy consumption does not work like that and like very technical and then jack just comes out and be like you know what screw that it, we're just going to completely flip this thing on its head. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it wor- I think it works. Like if, if we're being honest, like I'm like, damn, well played. In and, negotiation, you don't ask for like what you think is reasonable. You ask for something like three steps above that. <laughs> to, to yeah. Open the Overton window yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 They're like, how do we just get people to stop talking about this? Here we yeah. go. Counter or, or maybe settle in the middle, which is and, just yeah. like, eh. Yeah. <laughs> right. But it is like, it is an effective rallying cry. Well, and I will say what I appreciate about it is like probably like 10x the people are talking about flexible load than used to be, right? right? Like it's it's actually kind of interesting that like more advanced energy concepts are out there and being discussed. That's not a a bad thing. Another shout out here is to Nick Grossman who wrote an article, Bitcoin is a battery or something. (laughs) And uh, definitely fired up energy Twitter because everyone's like, of course, it's not a battery. But like he got people talking and I I was like DMing him and he was like, yeah, I was just like trying to start a conversation and he was very successful at that. At what cost? Now everyone thinks a battery is something that doesn't need to be able to discharge to the grid. (laughs) That hurt my heart. Well, (laughs) this is off script, but you know what I'm actually down for? Bitcoin is a transmission line. That actually, I like... You can cite Bitcoin mining at strand quote stranded energy that Bitcoiners always talk about, which has no transmission line, turn it into money and then send it somewhere else. Like it, that's actually much more interesting to me. Not that you're going to turn the money back into energy at the end of it, but like Bitcoin can deal with the physical constraint. Yeah. We're, we're so going to come back. Let's to come that. back yeah, to that. Yeah. So let's maybe I'm talk about say it's a capacity reserve margin. So, whoa. Oh, shit. Um, so maybe before we get into like our takes on where we stand on this, um, should we explain why Bitcoin is so tied to energy? No, uh, Colleen, before we do that, (laughs) is Bitcoin good? Do you like Bitcoin? Do I personally like Bitcoin? Um, where on this debate, if you had to choose a side, would you, would where, where would you land? Oh, I land on the, like, I'm not a Bitcoin person personally, but I also, don't really watch cat videos and they both exist. 
And so we should just figure out how to deal with them and decarbonize. So you're just like exiting. You're like exit. You just exited the arena. <laughs> I like mean, there's two people boxing and you're just like, I'm, I'm out. like, I, yeah, I'm Have like, fun. you know, I'm just going to go to the bar. I'll see you there when you're done. All right. No, but I mean, I, I, I think we'll get into this, but I, I kind of think it's in some ways a false narrative. It's like a false question. Right. That's like not getting to the point. Yeah. Okay. Duncan. Well, because Bitcoin is the symbol of, you know, maximal free capitalism, I think it's bad. Um, I'm going to take that position just so we can fight a little bit. Yeah. You're a, you're a fiat shill. That's cool. Uh, yep. Yep. Yeah. We'll yep. talk I'm, about that after the podcast. But... I like bartering actually. <laughs> you well, you want to just go full, I'll not take, digital. I'll take i I'll take a pro. I'll take Jack. I'm on uh, team Jack here. Team square. <laughs> nice. Even though I just spent the last hour shredding that white paper, uh, which we'll get into. I, but you actually do own Bitcoin. I do own Bitcoin. I'm intrigued in the narrative that a Bitcoin or crypto electron or electricity, like energy currency pair, supplanting a U.S. petrodollar system is very intriguing to me like that that may actually emerge over the next like 20 30 40 50 years whatever and like makes more sense to like tie electricity to digital currency than like petroleum to like fiat currency like that's an interesting conversation to me is bitcoin key to a renewable energy future and the way described in the paper from like a physical i'm putting on my like energy wonk grid hat now like not like come on yeah like it has interesting properties, but like little too far. And and I think that's, you know, we can kind of come back to how those two things intersect, but that's my nuanced take on top of the like yeah. hashtag at Jack Bitcoin's. Yeah. You, you're, 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 pro, you're pro Bitcoin, but you don't, you don't think it's like not having it is going to destroy our chances at decarbonizing. Right. You're not like, right. Oh, bye. and I'm also part, like I don't enter this arena. Like I'm kind of with you where I'm like, it's out there. It's going to happen regardless of how much we argue. But then Duncan has an interesting take, which is like, you're allowed to have an opinion on this, even if you're not like pro banning Bitcoin. Yeah, that's where, yeah, my, my nuanced version is similar. It's like, ultimately, like it's going to happen and you can't like stop people from using energy and we shouldn't. I think that's actually really problematic. With that said, I think one, you can say like, I think this is wasteful or not. I think right. that's fair. Right. You can load shame. <laughs> like you make, don't heat your pool don't mind bitcoin yeah 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 um, but so like I, cooking I, toast is okay yeah and, and <laughs> when i say that i think it's like in defense of they're the people who are saying bitcoin's going to melt the earth because i think they have a problem with bitcoin fundamentally and then they're the people who say that just because they're scared about climate and they read an article and it seems bad and like those people i'm saying i, I kind of right. get their perspective even if i don't necessarily fall there I could see how you could be like, well, what the hell is this for? This seems like a huge waste. Yeah, right. this is bad. But like, I understand that. My my pushback on that is, yes, I think there's people who are just like environmentalists and they're like pro-energy efficiency and like earnestly don't like Bitcoin as a result. There's also people who just have like a vendetta against bitcoin as like the currency yeah yeah <laughs> and yeah. they're like and like what it represents you know, pro like, like whatever fiat whatever yeah. you know uh and so they use energy as a as, as a club to, yeah yeah and they're often the most like 
if you like look at someone's Twitter profile when they're being like super anti Bitcoin because of energy, you can also like read a few of their tweets and be like, I understand where you are like politically. You know what I mean? Like sure. you can kind of yeah. map those two things. Yeah. On the other side though, wait, let me, so let me just like not be one sided here is you have people who, I mean, I would like to think I'm more in like the nuanced camp of like, wow, there's this really interesting, like Voslov Smill, like energy currency, like intersection. They think a lot about it. Like Susan Sue, I think is another person who like is very interested in that question. And we've talked a lot about it, but like, then there's people who are just very pro Bitcoin and they've found a narrative that they can now like go out and rally the troops to like, you know, go against the people on the other side of the question. Totally. I do think there's one interesting difference, although maybe it is on the con side too. Like the people you just described also like they have skin in the game, right? Like, and mm-hmm. you know, maybe there are some people who like, I don't want Bitcoin to succeed because I have a lot of dollars, <laughs> right? <laughs> like I guess such people exist, but I don't know to, to me, and this is totally a value judgment. It's not worth debating. There's something a little slimier about like, just like pumping your investment. Yeah. Uh, but with that said, it kind of doesn't matter. All that matters is like wow. what's true and I not. didn't know you were pro uh, Goldman bankers, Duncan. That's... <laughs> Let's just say there's earnesty and cynicism on both sides of this. Yep. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, so we want to not like slander anyone. The earnest groups on each side of this. Yeah. There's right. one last group I want to highlight just because I think it's interesting. <laughs> okay. Then we're, gonna, like, then we're getting out of this yeah. narrative <laughs> section. But we spoke about on the con side, there's those who fundamentally don't like Bitcoin for just sort of financial, monetary policy reasons, whatever. And then there's the kind of just like, I'd call like concerned environmentalist who's just like, oh, that seems bad. Yeah. Right. And I think those people don't understand, like they don't have any skin in the game on the financial side. So it's like, if you don't think about it, then like, what's the value? Yeah. It's just like, oh, this seems just like we're running computers for no reason. And it's like a virus that's eating all our energy. Seems bad. I do think there's a blend of the two though, which is, the environmentalist who like categorically is against Bitcoin because it's like kind of like the stance I was like standing at the beginning. It's, it's like the juiciest symbol of like growth. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And like, like it, Oh, so you're talking about like degrowthers? You're now? talking about the load shamers. Like a certain, yeah. Talking about like Club of Rome environmentalists. I mean like, and whether or not you're like fully there or not, like this feels just like the most, abhorrent example of like growth gone wrong and therefore it is like a it's like a totem to slaughter so it's not like a currency policy perspective it's yeah it's like it's it's like you shouldn't have children and the bitcoin shouldn't exist maybe (laughs) i mean maybe not quite there but but yeah like a a very yeah you know like it's not like because i like the fed it's not right right i got you yeah yeah. no and there's there's like different degrees of it all on on either side but i think you know (laughs) that out of the way what we we should spend a moment on like the tie between bitcoin energy yes and why it exists and also just like we're going to assume that it has value for the point of this conversation, right? Just like it's happening. And then we're just going to like analyze how it functions within the grid and like what value. What's it, it impact? Is, yeah, yeah. We're right. now leaving the like it the as a judgment. currency conversation value. Yeah, yeah like yeah, Bitcoin's like, here. It's an energy You load, like it, you don't like happening. it. It brings value. It doesn't bring value. Like it's yeah. load. It's going to exist. Yeah. What does it do? What does that mean for the grid? 
But before we do that, we should just say why it consumes energy. So the way that Bitcoin transacts is through an approval process called proof of work. And basically that means is you have to solve a really fancy, difficult math puzzle before other people solve it. And then you approve the transactions and you get rewarded in Bitcoin plus the transaction fees. The energy expense of Bitcoin is necessary to secure the network, meaning the way that you validate transactions is by solving math problems through computing power, which requires energy. And that's like how you prove that's how you actually validate the transaction. So if you remove the energy intensity, you remove the security of the network. Like it's a feature, not a bug is all I would add to what, what you said. And uh, what I would say is like for a lot of people who are like, you know, because, and I, to be candid, used to be one of these people um, who are like, why can't you just use like proof of stake or proof of authority, which is like basically using other means of validating that aren't as tied to energy. And the issue there is that there's always a fundamental trade-off between like the centralization of who can approve transactions and the energy use. And so proof of work is the most decentralized, has historically been proven the most difficult to attack form of that. And that's why specifically this conversation is around Bitcoin, which is like very much proof of work wants to stay that way rather than a lot of other cryptocurrencies, which like in theory plan to transition at some point. And so it's key to note that like there is a trade-off there and Bitcoin very specifically is like, this is critical to the whole like foundation of how this cryptocurrency works. Therefore it's needed. And then I think the other important thing is that, and we won't get into like the details, but you know, as adoption has increased, so has the energy consumption. However, it's not expected that as adoption continues to increase, the energy consumption will increase linearly. Right. right? So it's not like there, there's a lot of these models where like, you know, in five years, the transactions increase and then like, like here's the hash rate, yeah. like here's multiply hash- that by seven and <laughs> multiply that by seven. Yeah. And yeah. like now it's more energy than anyone in the globe uses. Like, it, like efficiencies will be made. Like there's not yeah. that like, the transaction rate is sort of like limited. There are some efficiencies in terms of like the system that are, that are happening elsewhere as well. So there's a lot of different things going on. It will stay energy intensive, but it's not going to like consume. Yeah, it's the not. It's, so it's, I mean, it's twofold, right? Cause one, as the price goes up, more miners are incentivized to come in and try and mine, but the more miners that enter the mining difficulty increases. algorithmically increases but if you take it to like its end point, if the difficulty, like the price went up so high that everyone entered the, like wanted to start mining, the price of electricity would start inflating and like then push miners out of the stack as well. Right. So like right. as soon as like Bitcoin crosses the threshold of like, it makes electricity more expensive than like a normal use case for that power. It's it's not going to like continue indefinitely because the actually like the economy would break down at a certain point because the currency you're generating is like more expensive than the skills that you'd want to exchange it for to a certain extent. You can't have like the operations of the currency be like a parasitic load on the economy. Right. Like, yeah. Like it would outgrow the economy itself, which is like, yeah, but just, so I I think think what's important, read a Nick Carter article, but I think what is important to know for this conversation is that the way that these sort of complex math problems are happening are through generally these computer networks that are called mines. 
And so a Bitcoin miner is like a person or company or group of consortium that are trying to verify these transactions so that the Bitcoin network can run. And these can be located anywhere in the globe. And they generally are located in places where energy is cheapest because that is, again, sort of the main tie and the main input. And so I think that like is just a very important component because it is a global currency. And so when we're talking about this, you know, what we're going to get into, I think, is given that it can be anywhere, <laughs> how do we think about how Bitcoin mining and the load and energy that is needed for it can play in how we think of the grid of the future? Right. So basically you're saying one, energy intensity equals security. Yep. on the Bitcoin network Two, because energy intensity is necessary. Bitcoin miners themselves are incentivized to find very cheap electricity to mine. So then three, they actually end up going to certain places on the grid. And then from here, we want to now have the conversation of what does that do to the grid? And I think this is where the like square crypto paper comes in is it makes this like bull case. It steel mans that adding Bitcoin miners to areas on the grid can increase renewable adoption. And then on the other side of the narrative of like, this is ending the world is that Bitcoin is Bitcoin miners are just new load. It's just new demand for electricity. And we're going to fill that with fossil fuels and it's like really inefficient. And so more Bitcoin mining means more emissions and it's like antithetical to right. Either more emissions or at least like, you have to then build your it like Even it more. furthers the goal to get to 100% renewable right. right it's like new load means now instead of one solar plant i need two solar plants and, and in theory there are some constraints on how many solar plants per year we can build it's not unlimited. right exactly so like maybe like, instead of decarbonizing manufacturing capacity by 2050 right. you're decarbonizing by 2070 because you're adding all this load right like i'm not making up dates yeah, yeah. but like that is another argument so now now we can ask a question that is not a value judgment on bitcoin the currency but bitcoin the grid resource so is bitcoin mining beneficial to the grid I'd give a soft yes. I'm going to say overall no. I'm going to say like, are there some use cases? Like we'll get into some use cases where like maybe it adds some things, but like I think net globally, no. Okay. I'm going to say, I'm going to say soft yes. I'll say, I'll say yes. Okay. So we have, we have two soft yeses and, yes and with, one with no. Yes. In the, in the, in the case that I mean, right? <laughs> like, like, like if you just, like Kentucky just introduced a bill that's going to like subsidize Bitcoin mining and data centers, which is actually, if you like really dig into it, is a subsidy to prop up like their failing coal fleet. It's like yeah. political pork to like yeah, yeah, yeah. get like, their coal lobby like revenues. So you're right? saying that ain't good. So, so they yeah, did like yeah. a tax write off type thing. Yeah. They're like, oh, it's it's like going to create jobs and in the report recognizing that like eight jobs will be created. Like totally because like it's literally it's a jobs, server. Plural. Like, yeah. 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 Maybe James is a soft yes. I'm a I'm a quiet yes. I mean, I do think, you know, Certain loads are good for a more renewable grid, right? Renewables are variable. Loads that can be more variable can be helpful to the grid. Um, and the the extent to which a load can be better at that job, it is, it's better for the grid, um, even if just at the margins. And I also think Bitcoin's interesting locationally because it, you know, 
we can we can say well an aluminum smelter is good for the grid right because it also is very dispatchable you can i mean this happens all around the world like in germany they're firing the aluminum smelter on and off like at the right times but you're not going to put an aluminum smelter anywhere right because maybe you want to be near your source of aluminum you have or to like ship the, the aluminum. yeah or you like want to be <laughs> you want to be near your aluminum market right um so there's still like reasons to cite it in a certain place like bitcoin's product is then transmitted in ones and zeros over the internet which could be a satellite interconnection deep in the middle of nowhere for all you care so i think in that regard like as far as loads that are good for the grid like bitcoin has some unique properties it's like pretty flexible although we don't really know quite how much i think there's a lot of questions about that and like it's pretty locationally like independent and it's pretty like modular, right? You can have like a container, a shipping container, Bitcoin rig, or you could have like a huge data center. So in that regard, that's kind of where my quiet yes from. So it's like, you know, certain loads help the grid and this is a pretty interesting one. Um, but I fall very short of like, you know, this is like the second coming of Jesus for the grid. <laughs> so I think where I, I really struggle is it... There's two things that I feel like I still haven't gotten like really good answers on. One is this idea of utilization, right? So like, are there on the margins going to be places where you could like cite a Bitcoin rig and it's going to be able to like eat up the excess solar or like the flared methane gas? Sure. But when you're talking about a global system, most of these Bitcoin miners, like, yes, they're going to try to find the cheapest electricity, but like, they're not altruistic, right? They're not like going after like, how do we make the grid better? At least the general, right? The general landscape. And I just don't like, there's still really cheap coal in a lot of countries, not in the U.S., but like elsewhere. Oh, in China, there's a yeah, lot China, of cheap coal. Right? There's a lot. There's still really cheap That's coal That's like running unprofitably, but running anyway. So like it's prime for that. And also, like, you know, let's just pretend for a second that something like nuclear comes around. Like, why do we assume or like areas that have like a lot of hydro? Like, I guess I don't totally buy like why we assume people are going to try to go to these like variable load places to like help us eat up the excess variable load. Unless unless you really think that we're going to have a 100 percent variable grid. And then, like, I guess you'd have to cite that way anyway. So I, I guess I'm just, like, I struggle with, like, the idea that, like, miners are, like, working so hard to, like, get cited at specific locations, especially when, like, energy prices can change, like, CapEx can change. Their, like, need to, you know, replace equipment is still going to be pretty high. Like, if you're somewhere in Idaho and, like, every two years you need to replace your mining, like, that's not super cheap either. Oh, man. There's a lot to respond to here. Yeah, that was a lot. It, that was... Well, it gets in. It gets into like the weirdness of the grid, which when you look at like Arc's model that we dug into, and we're going to talk about in a second here, it's like a 1D drawing in like 10D space. You know, what I mean? it's, like, it's like what are, what are we talking about? Yeah, here? and that's where my no comes from. My right. no comes from no, that. It's I, like... I I get it, but I'm like so my my pushback on that is like, well, they're going to go where the cheapest power is, and there's often this conflation between like. Okay, if you're a Bitcoin miner and you sign a direct power purchase agreement with a solar farm, that may be very cheap power, but it's only available 30% of the year. But you actually see a lot of miners flocking to, say, West Texas because there's a lot of cheap wind and there's a lot of cheap solar 
and a lot of cheap gas actually. So the wind and solar create zero and negative marginal prices on nodes of that grid. So like you don't even have to necessarily like sign a direct contract with solar wind farm, but they are going to those areas on the grid for sure. And like, you know, from the like coal perspective, what we've seen, I guess, is what I'm trying to say is that very high solar and wind penetration spots on the grid do have negative or zero marginal cost prices so much time in the year that it's it actually like can create problems on the grid itself. And so that's attractive for miners to go to. So like I certainly do understand that mm-hmm. piece of the argument. It's not like a model LCOE of different resources. It's like there's cheap power out there because there's lots of solar and wind. Right. And I agree with that. I think that there are cases where there is something to Bitcoin mining where it's not just, it's like the ability to locationally go there and it's the theory, right? That it's a much more flexible load than say even a data center because data centers obviously have to be up so that people can access the data and the internet and all of that. Whereas with the Bitcoin mining, when you're when you're not running, you're just not validating transactions. I haven't seen a good thing on what utilization rates are required for that. Yeah, I mean, I I know them anecdotally because we've like talked to Bitcoin miners about providing them power contracts, and I've heard as low as eighty, but I'd say standard would probably be closer to like ninety to ninety-five percent capacity factor. And to your point, like if you go to Idaho and the price of power changes, like there's all this gets into like how you hedge power and like how grids actually work, and, and so like it, it gets. Pretty complicated, pretty fast. But I think what is so interesting about Bitcoin mining is its only function is to solve these puzzles. It does not matter when throughout the year it is on. It just needs to be on, say, 90% of the year. So that means you have 10% of the year, you can go from its maximum output to zero at the flip of a button because you can't do that with a normal data center because you could be like running some model on a certain server in a certain location. You can't just like shut that off because like, you know, cloud services don't, you can shift server load around, but not as radically as you can with Bitcoin mining. You also look at like HVAC, like, or pool heaters as loads, like thermal loads, electric loads. You can ramp those down for like four hours, but you're going to need to turn them back on eventually. Otherwise you're just not using like if, if, yeah. if it's only so 110 degrees, yeah. like there's only a certain amount of, you can bring those things down. So Bitcoin is as far as like load goes in my mind, the most flexible load out there, like period, because it does have this function of in a time like Texas, if you look at all the loads that could have turned off, like when you had $9,000 per megawatt hour pricing for three days, Bitcoin's probably like the only one, maybe aluminum smelting too, where you could shut down for three three straight days and be unaffected. But like cooling, heating, EV charging, uh, battery charging, wh- whatever it is, uh, um, you know, you, you you would have to still come on and off to like stay fun- or data, data centers like any right. of that stuff. So let's think uh, about indoor that. ag, like all that stuff, you, you'd have to keep running. So like ninety per so ninety percent means basically in a year you could be off like thirty five days. Heard, I've heard like five hundred hours is like a good benchmark. So like when we when we go to like price a Bitcoin mining mm-hmm. power contract, they're like, We'll give you five hundred hours as like a call option. 
Right. I guess I'm just trying to think like there's like what what can make money and, and like what can be really beneficial to the grid in like a crisis scenario um, like Texas. And then there's like what can be used on a daily basis. Right. So if like if, if someone's argument is like it's this will eat the belly of the duck and the belly of the duck is 30 percent of the year. Yeah, it, it then doesn't, like it doesn't. Pencil. So, yes, in the square paper, they talk about the duck hurt. This is where like the narrative and the reality kind of start yeah. breaking apart. And you're like, you guys are trying. That's great. But like there's way more nuance in the analysis, right? Like if the duck curve is daily and it's four hours a day, five days a week, 52 weeks a year, that's five times 50, 250 times four hours a day. You're already like double or triple what you're allotted like. Bitcoin mining curtailment is right. So it's not going to like, you can't single-handedly solve the duck curve by just like stuffing Bitcoin mining in the, but, but here, but even more than that is that it's not a battery. It creates excess capacity on the grid as the square paper correctly cites. And I, again, I've heard anecdotally through guys like Michael McNamara who like work with Bitcoin miners in Texas, there are solar and wind farms in the interconnection queue that could not be built because there's been so much solar and wind built on a given transmission line that that the grid is like we can't interconnect to you because there's like no way to export this power so instead they will sign an agreement with an, a co-located bitcoin miner which like knocks down how much power that they're actually going to export to the grid and that allows it to get built while so still like, producing value from that power right because some of that wind is is going onto the grid. Well, yes. And also some of it is going to the Bitcoin mine. And when there's no wind, the Bitcoin mine can now use like sap power in on that like congested node, meaning like there's an oversupply on that node. So Bitcoin moves in and it like saps it up. And then so more stuff gets built there. To put fake numbers to this, you have 100 megawatts of solar potential at a site, but you can only interconnect 80. Throw... 20 megawatts of Bitcoin on site. Some of that 20 will end up still going to the grid when otherwise the solar plant is at like a lower capacity. And the idea of why that is needed is to make the economics of the site pencil. It can't build at 80. It needs to build at 100. Right. You would need to go further. Well, it doesn't have to build at 100. It's just that. But it, if the average nodal price there is like 10 bucks a megawatt hour and the Bitcoin miner is willing to pay you 20, like, yes. Right. You could also, it just like increases your economics. It, it at the increases site. the economics of the solar and wind farms because Bitcoin miners willing to buy that power for more than the node will offer it. Like yeah. Than the average nodal price. Yeah. Because that miners otherwise, if not co-located with the solar, would experience retail prices. The, the often argued like in Square, and you even mentioned it, Duncan, like value add that Bitcoin provides is threefold, right? One is that it's, liquidity for stranded assets like transmission constrained resources meaning like you can now pump that power into the bitcoin mine which it wouldn't have been able to interconnect otherwise and then you export it through the internet like you just sell it yeah so it's liquidity basically for for grid assets two is like it's flexibility which you're also adding new load (laughs) so like when you really get into the nuance like that one could go either way but Mm -hmm. where i do come out pro that point so like the transmission one is obvious the flexible load one's a little trickier but what i call it a like a capacity like it increases your reserve margin because bitcoin will come in to cheap power and like demand that more power plants be built 
And then in the tail risk, the tail events on the grid, like when you see like really, really high prices for like multiple days and there's like some supply shortage, Bitcoin will turn off more than other loads. Yes. Like it's actually like the opposite of like elastic resi load. It's basically building reserve margin that gets used. in Only in tail events. Yeah. Bitcoin demands more stuff get built, but it doesn't actually use power when power is really expensive right so then that that stuff and that, that's gonna happen that like stuff 10% of it the year. got built yeah. now is producing power during those right. tail events that bitcoin's not using in brief like it's not a solve for the duck curve daily but are you allowed then does that site allowed to export 100 megawatts or is it, is it going to get curtailed at 80 well it's different no it doesn't matter conversation. yeah 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 like like beyond different. the like transmission that's the one. transmission constraint this is just I know, but I guess I'm wondering, like, if they're cited, if they're citing where there's transmission constraints, and now you've like built for 80, like that excess capacity might not actually exist when you have. In grid. that case, no. it, I mean, that would be true. That that extra 20 megawatts the Bitcoin like enabled wouldn't be helpful in the tail event if you can only export 80. No, I'm not. I'm not but talking not about transmission cons- yeah, it's, constraints. It's just different. Though. Yeah. So you're saying just, just other other like cited. You're adding load to the grid, which yeah, creates yeah. demand for power, so more power plants get built. But it's highly flexible load, so it can But shut it off. turns yeah. off when everyone, yeah. the rest of the grid needs the power, yeah. like desperately. Yeah, agreed. I'm just, so what you're saying is that as we build, there will be a mix of some sites that are helping with transmission and other sites that, that are just, aren't dealing with that transmission constraint at all. And, and are so just overall helping. There's just more capacity. There's more power plants built capacity. as a result. So it's like a tail risk hedge. Yeah, it's just like if we decided to massively increase our aluminum smelting capacity like right it would demand more power plants to be built but it would turn off right we're at nine thousand bucks a megawatt hour right, right. and that's good that's where i <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. where i see it providing the most value like even more than the transmission constraint transmission, value i'm like or like the i think like flexibility more, more kind power of plants existing is good yeah <laughs> like yeah. as long as they're clean right like more power consumption is good no I hear, which a I lot of people that. in like the energy efficiency camp would not yeah be I'm a, i was like i'm a, as like a, an energy efficiency og person um <laughs> <laughs> having spent like eight of my 10 years in energy and efficiency i do struggle a little bit with that one because i generally don't i'm not like we should just build more so to me like what what I struggle with the argument, I'm not saying that like there isn't a benefit to it when it is being built. And like our argument here is like it's going to be built. But it's kind of like if you think you need that reserve margin, then I guess, right, like the argument there is that it's like reserve margin that is less wasteful. Yeah. But there's almost to me then begs the question of like if that's your argument, like should we be considering that when we're building how much reserve margin we need? Because now are we building like 20% reserve margin plus the Bitcoin mines? Or are we like the Bitcoin mining well, power is I mean, our reserve margin? Because that's a really interesting idea. In theory, that well, would just yeah, be more economic reserve margin. But that's how right. ERCOT would yeah. work, right? Like we're not centrally planning the reserve margin. More shit's just getting built because like there's more demand for power and it's going to turn off when there's like supply problems and prices go up. Like it's like a naturally occurring phenomenon versus like in the Northeast where we have capacity markets and we have to like... Bitcoin miners would like pledge into the capacity market as a demand response resource. And that should be factored into like capacity auctions. Right. Okay. So that's how but that, would... that in ERCOT, it doesn't work that way. It's just like, just either 
more plants get built or they don't. At the end of the day, it's just like a, it's a capacity resource. <laughs> like I really, right. it, it is, I think. Right. It's a very, it's like a highly um, trustworthy capacity resource. Yeah. Like you could bid that because in very easily Because it's almost always going to be, it's almost always going to be That's a great on. way to put it. Yeah. yeah. Right. Because like, because a lot of times with capacity, when you think of like, even when we talk about like aggregating, right, like aggregating heating or something, A, there's like this question of. If it's really fucking cold, people are going to want their heat. They're just not going to turn off. They're just off. not going to yeah. turn off. Yeah. And then and then also, like, there's this whole baseline issue of, like, well, some people like it at 70. And, like, where did they start? Yeah. Is and, it like, actually they were on, they were on vacation, be, and so it yeah. wasn't on. And yeah. I feel like with Bitcoin Is it going mines, to be load that's no. actually The present. benefit, right, yeah, is, yeah. like, okay, you almost know it's going to be running until, 100% until, until, you until you don't want it to. Until you don't want it to. Yeah. So that's, that's a, I mean, that's a compelling argument. That's way, like, from our perspective, because, like, basically what we try and do is, like, price call options for DERs. <laughs> and, like, <laughs> it's hard to do with a battery because you only get four hours a day. So, like, it doesn't really hedge your risk for the, like, maxed out prices for three days straight. Yeah, it doesn't give you tail event. And, or even just any, like, once you're outside of your four-hour window... Like you have, you have four hours a day. You have like twelve hundred hours a year, but only four hours a day. <laughs> but yeah, so it's like way harder to price that option than like with a generator or Bitcoin. I get a thousand hours a year, like period. So it's like way more dependable than HVAC or batteries. So is it? So is, is Bitcoin a battery? It's actually better than a battery. <laughs> well, it's, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I, I I almost wanted to say like because a battery implies like. <laughs> A battery implies like daily cycling. From a DR perspective, it's more like a backup generator. Yeah. Right. Where it's like, yeah, it's expensive Which to turn this what? thing off. Like Access you don't want capacity. to, but when you can, boom, whole load's gone. Yes. Like so, it's is Bitcoin a battery? No, it's a it's backup, a backup generator. generator. Wow. Woo. That's dope. I kind of like that. Yeah. No, I, I think that's I think that's like very <laughs> except that it again cannot power your home. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. It's, it's not actually that simple yeah, yeah. fact that it does not it does not provide power. power. Let us be, let us from, from a like demand response dynamics yes, perspective. From a grid from yeah. a grid perspective, it functions similarly. I think that's like actually kind of a nice way to like just characterize like bitcoin flexibility it's like it's not like a a daily resource where like over the course of a year the bitcoin's running at a 50 percent capacity factor kind of thing it's not like how people think of like hydrogen electrolyzers in the future or something it it's a like very controllable easily curtailable like tail risk mitigator yeah yeah that and it's like honestly that seems pretty fair like the, the layer here, which I find really interesting and like why, you know, as like misguided, I think is like Bitcoin is key to a renewable energy future. Like the way they arrive at that headline is like off bait. I mean, they're obviously like dealing with a lot of the components that I think are valid, but in no place in the paper does it actually like address what we just discussed, which is like, like I like think well, of backup, no, gen- they do think of backup generators. It. Well, it doesn't talk about the other side of it. Like backup generators are are gas, right? Like it's a fossil fuel, but they also enable lots and lots of renewables to be built because they fill in the gaps between, like if you look at Australia, California, soon to be Texas, what fills in the gaps between peaky like or intermittent renewables right now is gas. Mm -hmm. So like what's the difference between that and Bitcoin mines? 
Yeah. Bitcoin mines are probably better because they're like like helping the, the, yeah. the wind and solar get built in the first place. What I thought was really interesting about this paper is I actually agreed with a lot of like the takeaways that they had, but I just felt like the way they got to them was really yeah, off. Right. That's what, I, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> well, should, can we, they we... do talk about black swan events and how it can like help create this excess right. energy for it. Right. But just that like true. in the way that they talk about why. Well, it's also just that it, it like, there's obviously a lot of other ways to deal with that. Right. And it, it, so by calling it key, it's like the way to do it. Well, yeah, it's like. But it, then when you we look, <laughs> should we talk about the model, <laughs> Duncan? You're a you're a project financier. Can you <laughs> can you can you tell us what you thought of the model? So so what the model does is it looks at a hypothetical. And this is a model that was added to the paper as like support for the conclusions. Right? Yeah, this is like an Excel. It's like open source Excel yeah. model that was uploaded to GitHub that you know, shows like an example of how this could work. And it looks at a given solar plus storage plant. And then it looks at Texas wholesale energy prices and Texas load. It then lets you scale Texas's load up and down. So like it retains the load shape, but can like meet, you know, just one plant. So it kind of like atomizes this discussion as opposed to looking at like the grid as a whole. And it says like, okay, the reference case is we build a solar system and it makes money depending on its output and the grid's price and therefore produces a certain return. I will say the return is like incomplete, right? Because it's just like looking at CapEx and OpEx, not like everything else involved in building and financing a solar plant. I saw some LBMPs in there. Yeah, well, it's got those, yeah. Um, Just and, throw them in. Yeah, will do some one good. Year, not a 20-year outlook. So that's the reference case. That's the baseline. And then it has this scenario where if you add a Bitcoin mining rig to this plant and consider the dispatch of like, you know, in your reference case, you have solar, and then sometimes it makes sense to charge a battery, and sometimes it makes sense to discharge a battery. Now you have the third option, which is this flexible load of, should we be powering the Bitcoin or should we be charging the battery? Um, and should we be not running the Bitcoin or should we be run, running the Bitcoin? Like it, it, it's, it's, it's like a dir basically um, just behind the generation meter as a behind the load meter. And basically it finds that, yeah, like you have a Bitcoin mining rig on site to like consume power that would otherwise produce a very, very low price from the market. And it, marginally improves the the economics of that solar plus storage system by like a couple basis points in the most extreme case for like 80 percent of demand met with solar plus storage it's uh like 219 basis points that it improves the returns on the project yeah like if you're crazy enough to try to build a grid with only solar and storage (laughs) it's great to have flexible load the the return in that case is like negative five percent irr yeah yeah like, like neither like investment makes any like, sense right, yeah yeah right, right it's kind of like so clearly we're kind of like examining a scenario that isn't worth it because it's also right, basically like, saying that it's always better that in those cases like the location of the flexible load being at the site is like critical right as opposed to like flexible load from like ev charging anywhere. coming in closer to where the load is being used or like where the energy is being consumed right 
it's not it's not creating a complex grid model which like you know for a thought fair piece, yeah. fair it's an excel model <laughs> yeah, yeah whole careers are based on that so like you can't you can't win them all but um <laughs> no i i do think like it's pretty interesting though like i like the way they've set this up like creating the reference case and the bitcoin case and like measuring solar project profitability like i think it's the right framework i i do feel like it could probably like use some added things but like yeah it's smart and novel like i'm not here to trash it like right. i think it's cool right i think it's like a v1 though, well you know i will say i mean i don't want to put you on the spot but when this thing came out on twitter you were not you weren't like very supportive of it oh yeah because the title purely because <laughs> it was the title. purely title yeah Okay. Just, just the title. So you, so like, I think, think the word, the think, white. So just, the white just for reference, because I don't think we've said this yet. The title of this is "Bitcoin is key to an abundant clean energy future." Yeah, that no, well, I think we, is, we mentioned that. that yeah. That's a. It's just a very large statement. Um, I think the white paper is pretty reasonable, and I think the model. I mean, I'm not like ready to say I think it's like great, but I think it's like an interesting exploration of the topic. Right. That's like. Let's have Jesse Jenkins run it, though. Yeah, I think it's like a worthy <laughs> question it's trying to answer, and it does an interesting job at attempting that. I don't like, you know, in the inputs and outputs, I see like the reference case solar project has a negative 1.93% IRR. And when you add Bitcoin, it's like 0.01% better. Like that doesn't really move the needle for me, but like I like the way they've done this and i think it's pretty interesting and like good for them for like actually trying to quantitatively yeah. dig into this and to to the detractors like they never have right right <laughs> so this is like a good i don't know i think it's cool interesting. um but i it doesn't it does not do it seems like the title requires a mountain of evidence and right. they have provided a molehill right. right. you know so that that's kind of where i'm coming from right I mean, the counterpoint is like, that's where I come around to it being like a very effective and I think brilliant narrative because like the nuance that we just tried to cover for like, you, you can't have that conversation in a public sphere. Yeah. And or, actually or in a three page white like, paper, <laughs> like how they reduced the real like nuanced conversation about how the grid works to like the points that they hit in the paper and the the language they use and how they actually explain like trans like congestion and like these, they do it in like the margin notes. They did like a pretty good job with it. Yeah. Right. No, like I, I, I mean, <laughs> it's not like it's trash. Colleen's rolling. Like, Colleen's like, Oh, no, they, no, my, no, no, my no. I will say, I think it's well, I think it's well written. I think it's like clear. My, my biggest issue with it is that I don't think it's like a paper that changes people's minds. I think you mm. read it. Like I read this paper and I have, you know, I, I came in on a, on a hard note, but I, I do think there's value to, to a lot of this, but I think where I struggled the most is they kind of really, and maybe this is just me being too technical, like too in the weeds of a person, they really gloss over what they did in the model. And yeah, so you kind of yeah. have to like trust their analysis in the way they write it. They're like, and then we looked at these two things and like, it's great with Bitcoin and it doesn't well, make any I, sense at all without it. What, like, I'm, what, I, I'm hearing, <laughs> what I'm hearing more, what you're saying, you know, not the paper versus the model is like when you put the, the paper in the context of the public conversation, it is feeding people on one side of a, a debate talking points and not like actually 
creating a conversation. Exactly. It's not like, it, I don't think, any, I don't think the Agreed. environmentalists are reading Which this is, and like getting convinced the other right. way. Where you guys come in as cynical is like, like this is cynical is not that like the analysis is that like shoddy. It's just that like, there's something about the way in which it's constructed is like, it has, I mean, it has a position, obviously, you know what I mean? But, like, but the, it is, I, if, if it's almost like you're feigning like objective research, then it's right. like, it's like, right. Oh, we made this. If it's the, this if the title, of, if the, that, like, if the yeah. title of the paper was like, here's the case for Bitcoin, we think there might be something to it. I'd be like, right. Yeah. But like when the paper is like so strong bull case. Right. And then the model's like an interesting exploration that maybe like somebody might do for their undergrad senior design project. Right. It's just kind of like, then I, I don't know. I, you, you feel I can't like help but question the, the like intentions of right. this. Is this like actually like exploring this yeah, topic like here, in an objective and unbiased way? Or is this like, just like, let's like straw man right. this thing and like, get it to the point where we can I mean, make a and title. this is this is what I took the most issue with. Like honestly, if they had taken this these like few sentences out, I probably would have been more convinced. They have as bitcoin mining scales, the solar system increases in size, provides a higher percentage of the grid's needs. Increasing bitcoin mining capacity could allow the energy provider to overbuild solar without wasting energy. In the bottom left of the chart, in the absence of bitcoin mining, renewables can satisfy only 40% of the grid's needs. They're like, without Bitcoin mining, you can only get to 40% yeah, renewables. Weird, like, and I was like, I read that. And then they were like, and now go to our model for more information. And yeah. I was like, you've got to be kidding me. How many people the model? Me. And then when you dig in, it's 187. It's one year of LBMP data. But also like, but also like what environment? have 40% what energy person, already. Right. What energy like, person who's, who's skeptical of Bitcoin is going to read a paper that says, Without Bitcoin, you can only reach 40% renewables and then take anything else seriously in the paper. That's what I struggled with. That sentence killed the paper for me. I very much agree. Coming around Strike that sentence and I was like on board. Is like my my being like, okay, like good on you. It's an effective counter narrative. Like comes from, it's been like six years I've watched. Like, well, I I mean, I guess since like 2016, like five years that I started getting into this stuff is like... uh, just watching Bitcoin get bashed for energy consumption. And this is the first like sort of like counterpoint dogma that Mm -hmm. like actually goes back at that. Like you got to feel for Nick Carter, who's written like 25. No, Bitcoin does not. Energy consumption does not work like this. It's in a way like a lot more earnest of a position because he's just like, futilely like raging against like the mountain of like Mm -hmm. yeah yeah poor takes out there but he's not like offering something dogmatic in return yeah so i I I mean it's cynical it's cynical at the end of the day yeah like it's it's in the same way when you look at like our polarized like political sphere yeah if you're on one side of the argument or the other like you support a given position even knowing that it's like a distortion yeah right that is just like yeah i'm just trying to beat that team and but like you know, it doesn't, you could argue it doesn't really like get us anywhere. And when you're like, it's like action reaction, but it's like, well, is anyone like benefiting from this really? Like, yeah. Is this yeah, doing yeah, yeah. yeah. I forgot. Yeah. I forgot what the the sentence, I knew there was a sentence in here that like really, like really messed me up. And I, <laughs> and I, cause I, I, you know, I think flexible loads important. I think like, 
things that can help us get to the renewable energy future are great. If we think this can help us with that, like, great, let's like, let's do it. But like, don't try to tell me you can't do it without that. Right. No, I, I, I agree with that. I agree with that. What I've only seen in recent months, which I think is like a way more interesting piece of this conversation, like Susan Sue did it first. And then like Alex Gladstein just wrote a really great piece that I read last night on, which I actually find is the, the interesting counterpoint to the Bitcoin is energy consumption is like destroying the world narrative. Instead of going like cynical, Bitcoin is actually the key to our renewable future. The actual like counterpoint that they've put forth is like, well, wait, let's talk about like our current U.S. petrodollar system and like how embedded uh, the U.S. is with like Middle Eastern oil and how like our entire system of currency is like based on that. And if we're going to talk about Bitcoin's energy consumption problem, we should like look in the mirror and talk about the U.S. dollar being essentially like backed by oil. (laughs) Right. And you don't have to like then become super pro Bitcoin as a result, but you do have to try and square with like our current currency system. There's like some serious problems with it in its relation to energy. And this is where all of the non-finance people are like, I don't know what you're talking okay, about. So me, it's, so it's break really, it down. It's break it down a little bit more for us. It's really simple at the end of the day. And like, go go read Alex Gladstein or Susan Sue or Lynn Alden actually has the best piece on this um, called The Fraying of the U.S. Petrodollar System. But basically in 1944, like the U.S. had the most gold and we emerged on the most unscathed from World War II. We were the most powerful. So we decided to base a currency system, Bretton Woods, on the U.S. dollar, but it had to be backed by gold. And then fast forward, like this worked for a while, but fast forward to the 70s is like we're trying to finance the Vietnam War and like all this like sort of at-home spending, our uh, debt to GDP ratio is going up. And so France actually, I think it was France, like actually sent a warship to the U.S. demanding $3 billion in gold. Like they wanted to redeem their U.S. dollars in gold. And Nixon got on television and said, we're not, no, that's done. Like we're floating the USD. It's going to be temporary, but you cannot, like foreign nations, the US dollar is no longer backed by gold, basically. And so there's this very uncertain moment where in the context of history, like we look at the USD as being inevitable as the global reserve currency, because we're the US. But in the early 70s, it was like, it could have completely fractured at that moment. Basically, the U.S. petrodollar system was created in 1974 after the Bretton Woods system for the 30 years prior to that, where we promised the the Saudis to give them guns and protection if they would, you know, mandate that other countries buy oil only in U.S. dollars. OPEC countries quickly followed suit. But it was originally, it was like an explicit quid pro quo. Like, you get guns and protection, you use our currency. And so then when you look at like the proportion of global trade and how central to that system that oil was at that time, what it means is is like if I'm Japan, if I'm France, I need to go either sell goods to the U.S. to get U.S. dollars or buy dollars on an open market if I want to buy oil from OPEC, which was like 80 percent of the oil trade at that point in time. So it it generated this massive demand for the U.S. dollar when we were uncertain about the dollar's future. So like from there, it created this like petrodollar system 
where I think, you know, something like 60% or at the time of global trade was transacted in USD, even though we're only, we were only like 30% of the GDP. So like it created this outsized use of the US dollar. So Lynn Alden goes as far to say, and like Alex Gladstein too, is like the US dollar is backed by oil. Like when you, when you think of it in that context, um, because then what the Saudis do is with all that excess money, all this US dollars that's pouring in from other countries, they reinvest it into US treasuries. So they finance the US debt, US, like the government's deficit with petrodollars. So it's like what creates this entire like cycle of dollars and system. And so that, you know, now people talk about like the Euro dollar, like US dollar is so present that like oil doesn't matter anymore. Like the petrodollar system ended in like 2007 or whatever it was. Um, and now it's like just everyone uses US dollar cause it's the US dollar, which is also like fairly valid, but it's now like this implicit threat that if you mess with the US like and the US dollar system, like we're gonna come after you, but it's not explicit in the way that it was with like the petrodollar system itself. So it's like greatly weakened the position of the US dollar. So I guess it's just like a really long way of saying that when you look at how we finance things today and we look at like Bitcoin as this challenger currency to potentially be a new global reserve currency and saying it's really bad because it uses a lot of energy. It's like, well, look at our relationships with the Middle East. Look at us invading Iraq. Look at us like fighting all these wars. And the fact that our dollar is became what it was largely because of the oil trade. Right. Right. So, so like, we have to acknowledge sort of how, that, how like, much all... institutional inertia is actually against renewables just from the fact of like using USD. So like big oil, big auto. Like everyone is like pro this system and it, it works against renewables to a certain extent, like, or will over time. By the way, that that's the best explanation of like this I've received. That was really <laughs> helpful. But is, is the idea then like without something to challenge USD as like a global reserve currency, um, it's basically not in the U.S.'s interest to transition from oil and like well, like America as a kind of so the, construct this is will, like the, will push against renewables. The, the counterpoint? Or primarily EVs, I would imagine, not right. even necessarily renewables. So I've actually, there's like this really interesting like deep Twitter lines of this debate forming, I think, which like Lynn Alden and this guy like Luke Grauman fall on the petrodollar side of it. Another group says that the petrodollar is irrelevant. Like even MMT, like modern monetary theorists feel like, you know, believe this. And then people say the euro dollar is what's important now, which is U.S. dollars that are sit in banks outside of the U.S. So they're not actually like they don't obey the same laws as like yeah. when they're in the U.S. deposit system. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's basically like, you know, by watching like euro dollars, you're watching like how USD is being used as the reserve currency. So at the very least, like if tomorrow we stopped buying oil and USD, like the demand for US dollars would drastically lower around the globe, which would like potentially cause harm inflation America. or harm the system itself. Yeah. Or it's like where I come out on it is that the use of US dollars was like an explicit mandate in exchange for protection. And now it's like, so China can be like, we're going to, you know, 
uh, buy oil and yuan with your Iran and like, screw you guys. Like in order to stop that, we would have to like send in gunships to like, be like, no, you can't. So the, the, the actual debate becomes around like since the fall of the Soviet union, the U S has been a unipolar hegemon, like a yeah. uni dominant country. And like the only thing that would actually stop the U S dollar as a reserve currency is a chaotic multipolarity. So like if you're on one side of the debate, you're saying we're headed towards a multipolarity in the next decade. Like the U S the U S has weakened to such a degree, both militarily and economically that like the Euro itself is going to be very strong. The Yuan Bitcoin, all these other different, the SDR Alex Gladstein talks about, um, so there could be like just a basket of currencies that when you look at how China trades with Russia, they're not using U.S. dollar anymore. They're using their own currencies. And like those trading pairs are increasing. Or you say like the other side of this debate is like, that's ridiculous. The U.S. dollar is still what it is. Like keep dreaming. It's going to continue for the next 50 years because like China isn't actually a, as big a threat as everyone thinks. So how like does, it's not like this? I'm not saying like take away oil and yeah. like the system collapses, but it's like. You got to like understand that there's a lot of inertia behind the oil trade and the U.S. Like, why did we go into Iraq? And like, there's a lot of conspiracy theories around that. Because, yeah, like, yeah. Saddam started by like letting Euro- yeah. Europe buy oil and euros. But, and- so to bring it to bring it back to Bitcoin and the grid. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Wait, I want to stick on Saddam Hussein for a little while. I mean, I'm not saying I, mean, I, I, really- I don't support this, but. No, I hear the you. Conspiracy yeah. theories out there are that like Gaddafi and Saddam were both the two dictators who like meaningfully wanted to move away from the U.S. petrodollar system, and they're the two who got like ousted, who got whacked, and and Mossadegh in Iran, mm-hmm. right? So like, at the end of the day, like it's not, I mean, and like David Graeber like talks about this stuff too, but it's like. I'm not, I'm not like going to say there's this like explicit, sure, sure. oh, you don't want a petrol, you're dead. Like, yeah, yeah. like conspiracy type thing. But it's like, you can, <laughs> you can look at like, we do have a vested interest in like keeping, if you ask like the average like incumbent Democrat or Republican today, they'll probably be like, yes, having the US dollar as the reserve currency is good. And they won't be pro like threats to that. And one of them, one of the representations of that is in like, the Petra trade. Well, that that's why this is why no one knows who Satoshi is because W whacked him. <laughs> w, he was he wasn't even president anymore. Just finishing the job, you know. But but so I I still I do like <laughs> I don't know much about any of this, but I'm still trying to just connect the basic like so Bitcoin being more prevalent will help renewables because that means the petrodollar is less prevalent. I think it's like a little bit more tied to like convincing people that Bitcoin is important and like also looking at what the trade-offs are. It's like when we talk about when people say like Bitcoin is energy intensive, they aren't like, well, what is the finance like what does the US financial system do and like what is that based on, right? Like there's not this like comparison and it's because right. people like look at and and right. I think that's like where this often comes to the heart of and you know our focus here like in today's podcast wasn't wasn't so much like what is the value but i do think it's important to like come back to that concept which is where this becomes important because like ultimately if you think bitcoin is like this frivolous thing you have to be real convinced that it's good to like build mining rigs around the world to help us get to renewables right the petrodollar like argument is like you got to be comparing it to what it 
what we're currently using and like Bitcoin is something that is inherently tied to energy and that as like we've been discussing can be very beneficial to and has a lot of like positive benefits by co-locating with renewables right. in a way that like the U.S. financial system right. does not. Right. So I guess, again, like wh- why I take issue with the square paper is I don't come out as saying like you need Bitcoin to like build a new currency to like fund renewables or whatever. It's more I'm interested in this idea of it as like an emergent property of a new energy mm-hmm. system mm-hmm. in that like if you actually go back to like oil has always been tied to U.S. hegemony like standard mm-hmm. oil controlled 80 percent of the of the global oil supply like at the time that it was broken up in like 1911 right and going further like up and through the 1930s and through the 50s we signed all these concessions in the Middle East like U.S. companies because we were the dominant oil producer we were the ones who had the expertise on like geology and yeah. mine and, and digging that we went out and we like signed these deals with Arab nations to dig for oil there. And we were going to like split the profits. And like over time, those, those like agreements, it was always this like contention and where it flipped was in 1973 when we saw like the energy crisis, the Arab nations did like the embargo and, or like the OPEC nations and the world oil market went from like a buyer's market to a seller's market basically. And like they all nationalized and they're like, this is just ours now. Like you guys are a service company. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the point is, is that like, forget the currency for a second, like U S hegemony itself and the, all the industrialized nations, like oil was the lifeblood of our systems. And it's like that energy intensity was like how we built all these like modern new marvels, like cars, planes, like all of like all these modern comforts we enjoy and, and how we, how much energy we consume. If you like map it to like prosperity and energy consumption, they're just linearly related. Right. And that's like, obviously oil was at the, the heart of that. So, yeah. well, and before that, right. Cold of the British, right. Like same exactly. deal. Yeah. Exactly. And so today I am interested in this sense that like, actually China like controls like 70% of the supply chain for solar and batteries. It's only like 30% of wind. But when you look at like panel manufacturing and like batteries and EVs and like all the stuff that we want to electrify, I'm like, it feels a lot like, like standard oil back in 1911. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so when, if you think of how the U S dollar like became the U S petrodollar, it was almost like, this feeling that it was inevitable in a way how tied those two things would be because like oil was the lifeblood of us being such a powerful Navy and industrial economy. Right. And so like, if you look at today, I, you know, I'm trying to write the fourth piece in this age of electron series where I'm like basically trying to put this forward of like, we are doubling the, our electricity consumption in our lifetime, right. Just because we're switching EVs and heating over to electricity So it doesn't even have to be renewable related, but if like oil was the dominant feedstock for our industrial economies, like the electron and power generally, yeah, yeah. So like power actually for the first time is going to emerge as the most important commodity in the world, and like maybe a new currency system will emerge out of that just because like if you're buying oil in USD because it's the most important thing and the most US is the most important economy and the most, the strongest. Yeah. Well, maybe now when you create electricity, it makes sense to have it like tied to this like digital crypto mining. Like 
it just feels like somewhat natural. So well, it's the, not like there, there's that something, you can't have like yeah. a U.S. fiat currency or like a, a, a pay like or a gold standard, whatever other standard. It's maybe not even Bitcoin. Maybe it's like Ethereum or these other things. KWH but coin. Doge. There you go. Doge coin. <laughs> But like just thinking of this long arc of like how institutions rise and fall, like electricity emerging at the same time that this like electricity based currency, it just feels like it makes a lot of sense. <laughs> no, like- no, I, I think that's really interesting. And well, it ties with something people talk a lot about in energy, which is like if energy is power and I don't mean electricity, but like global power right and we saw the british with coal and the u.s with oil and then and maybe it was gold before that because metals like we're, sure. like we're the you know swords and all this stuff for like these were all resources sitting under your feet then you won the lottery that they were under your feet right. right and that's what created hegemony when energy is now manufacturing right we now manufacture our energy in a way well right? it's silicon and lithium as well yeah but like the the that's like it's not like you burn the lithium every time you use a unit of energy, right? Like it, it's a it's a less important input. Yes, but materials will still matter. But like you make a solar panel and you have 25 years of energy, but you can manufacture a solar panel anywhere. So like the lottery of like there's oil under my feet is the I guess what I'm saying is like it deconcentrates the opportunity well, to have power through energy and when you say just like something that is not relegated to like a currency, not relegated to a specific country feels like a better fit. I sort of agree in that respect because renewables also are like, there's no one place inherently that should control the production of renewables. It's a technology. Now you might have places that are more suited for it. Just like we make all our semiconductors in Taiwan, but like you could make them in the U S it's not as right. if there's only Silicon in Taiwan. Right. Right. Same. But thing. you do, I mean, you do still need the raw material imports and they're going to be cheaper to mine in some areas than others. Sure, and sure. if you control the extraction of the, but it's resources, less important. It's less important than it's less than important in for a, like wind, in a combustion I economy. I think wind, cause it's just like steel. What is it? Like aluminum and like fiberglass. And stuff. Yeah, That's like, why you like, well, GE is like biggest wind company. Out right. There. Yeah. Right. And so China only controls like 30% of that. But when you look at like silicon and lithium processing and like there's cell material manufacturing, there's for like, sure. yeah. you know, it, it, there's definitely an edge. Like, and it's something I always try and inject. We've got in, a lot like, of lithium here though. Like yeah. we can, yeah, we I can do we it. We want to mine this one in the, like there's a mine where it's being blocked right now in like Nevada, Nevada or something yeah. because and of the, there's the all poppy. the lithium in California but that's like that four percent like... of the supply a global supply sure sure so it's like still though the point being the stuff underground is less important than when you have to burn it every time to get energy right it becomes a less important input to the like right but overall. it does we it are matters, intertwined in the matters. middle east because yeah. of oil and we will try and find like lithium and cobalt and and in, silicon in and some that will like, change the yeah, dynamics sure. of yeah. of how but like yeah. economies are built makes it more likely that economies are now we're just really we're just really going way off the energy realm <laughs> it's um, cool though um <laughs> no but like that 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 there is a lot more bifurcation of power because like there are more options and where these things are and to that point like you can also try to invent new technologies if like it becomes too much of an issue right and there and to some extent like natural resources are still important and that like the u.s still has really awesome solar and wind resources right so like we have that ability we aren't going to have to like 
import power from another country that has like well, really good wind and like build better transmission systems and like rely on them. Right. So like you still need it for manufacturing and like there will. Yeah. And so I'm not saying like, and the U S obviously can't like export right. wind right. to other continents. Although like, like right. that is a thing, like Australia is talking well, about like building a crazy amount of solar in the desert and sending it to Singapore. Right. Yeah. Cause like Singapore has no space for right. anything. Right. Like, yeah. so that'll be a thing too. So what, like one thing to highlight there is, you know, cause it gets into like geographic determinism, like yeah. natural reason, the stuff under your feet, like you said, fantastic natural gas, solar and wind resources. However, in the case of like solar and wind, you're, you're right that like you may be able to manufacture this stuff anywhere. However, where the state of our supply chains are, like if we started growing like crazy, like, you know, Biden's plan took off yeah. and like we're actually decarbonizing by 2030, we do have to square with the reality that like China could wake up and be like, we don't want to sell you this stuff anymore. Like yeah, they yeah, have yeah. a massive Turn trade off weapon the against faucet. us. Yeah, and yeah. like the our entire like clean energy future is dependent on like Chinese supply chains for this stuff. So like you may be right, but it's not the reality that's in front of us. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Although, Which is like something I always try to inject into the conversation. Like yeah. we should like build this stuff as well. Yeah. Even though we have great solar resources, we still need the stuff like from somewhere. Or at least purchase from a variety of suppliers. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But building it would be cool too because yeah. that then you can also sell and then have global power through it. <laughs> yeah. But by the way, like France and Japan started their nuclear programs in in the wake of the oil embargo in the 70s yeah they're like wait this is really ins- like this is not good yeah yeah we so don't have the stuff under our is feet that our nuclear is coming so what you're saying is when china cuts us off from solar it US could be going to be all about the smr it, it could be there we go that's that's full circle right there <laughs> so so what where do we net out on that did i sway you more than the uh, square paper <laughs> 100%. Well, yeah, yeah, because your arguments are sincere. Yeah. Um, 100%. Yeah. I feel I'm, like I'm where I was before. Yeah. Like, I'm like kind of, well, not my fake, like, bear thing. I don't know. It's how I felt the whole time, which is basically like Bitcoin is an interesting load that is like probably a little more useful than most loads in a right. variable renewables world. But like, it's still new load. So if you think it's absolutely worthless in its utility, well, then, of course, you're going to think it's bad. Right. And if you think it's amazing, even if it was bad for the grid, you'd think it's good. Yeah, right. And if you're pretty neutral, then you're like, "Eh, it's either marginally good or bad, but I don't really care. Right. Like, that's where I end up. (laughs) Right. And Colleen, what about you? Yeah, I mean, I think it will provide more value than I expect. But I really want Square to issue a revision without, <laughs> that, without that sentence. <laughs> and I... Just get it peer-reviewed. Let's see what happens. Submit it to a journal. See right. what happens. Send it to Jesse Jenkins. That's what I'm saying. Send it to Jesse <laughs> yeah. Jenkins. He can look at that model. I don't even... Mark Jacobson may have even had a problem with that model, which is which is saying something. Well, because it, it says we can only get to 40% without Bitcoin. Right. He would hate That's, that so he model. would hate that. Yeah. Uh, I come out on, um, actually, you know, hearing myself rant for an hour. Um, I now realize I'm, I'm a little crazy and I go back to the quote that started it and that's Bitcoin is not a good climate thing (laughs) (laughs) from Bill Gates. (laughs) 
I like it. I like it. Well, I guess the Bill Gates quote summed it up in a better way than we thought. But overall, I'm now much more bullish on Bitcoin as the backup generator concept, aka reserve capacity for the grid. Definitely check out the Square paper for yourself, which I'll drop in the show notes and we'll have it on the website. And leave some comments on our new Slack channel, hashtag podcast chatter. If you have anything you want to dive deeper into, or just call out James for some random fact checking on his historical take on the petrodollar. Lastly, we have continued with virtual meetups, so check those out on our website, dertaskforce.com, and look out for future in-person meetups where we have officially started back up after 15 months of not having them. We had the first one at Urban Energy's office in Williamsburg, Brooklyn last week, and we even had free DER Task Force microgrids or dope koozies for the brave souls that joined on the hottest day of the year, which brings up great discussions of demand response and capacity markets. Hope to see and talk to you all soon.